Welcome to Lost in the Supermarket, the podcast that goes behind the shelves. I'm your host, Phil Lempert. Today's podcast teaches us how a new Apple is born. Our guest, Rob Blakely, the R&D manager at Stemult, is the research and development manager for the company, which is family-owned and leading grower, packer, shipper of apples, pears, cherries, stone fruits, and organics. Originally from South Africa, Rob earned his PhD in avocado post-harvest physiology. He worked at Westphalia Fruit in South Africa and in the UK as a horticulture researcher in avocados before moving to Washington State in 2016. He manages the R&D activities and new variety programs. And with Rob is Brianna Shales, Senior Marketing Manager, who joins DeMilt's marketing team after earning a BA in communications from Washington State University. More than a decade later, she works on marketing strategy and communications execution as it relates to the Stemmel brand and its signature branded varieties like Rave Apples. Both of you, welcome to Lost in the Supermarket. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thanks very much. So, Rob, let me let me start with you. And and I don't mean to be trite here, but you know, most people think of as we're growing up, Johnny Appleseed and the folktale when they think of, you know, how an apple tree comes to life. But planting apple seeds is not how that works, right? Um, in some way, it is right. We've just uh, progressed a lot since uh, Johnny Appleseed's times. We are still uh, planting seeds and, and seeing how they uh, perform. And if we like them, we will propagate them on and, and keep developing and commercializing them. But uh, yeah, it's a, a lot more efficient and labor intensive than uh, Johnny Appleseed's times. So explain to us, if you would, how a new apple variety actually comes to be and, and what happens first. So first up, we need to get a seed. So we will have a mother tree um, of a variety that we are interested in, say Honeycrisp, for example. And we will have pollen donor, the father, if you will. And we will take pollen from the father tree, from a father flower, and pollinate some flowers on the, the mother plant, and it will grow an apple. And once the apple is ripe, we will take those seeds and we will plant them out. We will grow them up and we will graft them onto a rootstock because we only really interested in the fruit of the tree. We're not interested how it grows its own roots. And we will grow it up. We will take it from a nursery. We'll plant it in an orchard. And we will wait for it to produce fruit. And we're probably about five years into the process now, once we finally have fruit of the variety. And then we will taste it if it's any good. We will keep evaluating it if it's still good, if it grows a strong, healthy tree. We will keep evaluating and increasing the number of trees of this variety and seeing how it performs on a commercial scale, not just on single trees or a few dozen trees. And if it's still doing well, and it's still storing well, eating well, packing well, and getting broad consumer acceptance, we will plant dozens and eventually hundreds and maybe even thousands of acres. But that whole process is going to take dozens of years. 20 if we're in a rush, 30 if it's uh, on a normal time scale. So you talk about whether it tastes good, whether it's good. What's the ratio when you're experimenting, when you're developing, when you're breeding these these apple trees and, and these apples? What's the ratio of the ones that are good to bad? So we work on a ratio of 1 to 10,000. Wow. 1 
variety will be successful out of every 10,000 seeds. Okay. So you, you mentioned pollination. How is cross-pollination different than genetic modification? So cross-pollination is the standard way that apples are bred. So like I said, taking pollen from one flower and putting it on the flower of the mother tree. There are different ways of genetic modification or genetic engineering. So genetic modification is using biotechnology tools to different ways to do this. Artificially silence some genes, and, and that has been done to silence the enzymes that cause apple browning, and then those fruits are available. And that's like CRISPR? No, that's not like CRISPR. No, okay. That's standard genetic modification. And there are other techniques that, that can be done in what we term genetic modification. And then the third step is genetic engineering, which would encompass CRISPR or CRISPR-Cas9. And that's using biotechnology tools to take a gene from an apple and replace it with a gene that we don't want in a variety of interest. So let's put some, some real-world examples on that. Let's say Honeycrisp has a tendency to develop soft scald, so it's sensitive to cold. So we can take a gene that we know will give the Honeycrisp tolerance to cold temperature, and we can insert it into Honeycrisp and make it more cold tolerant, in theory anyway. That hasn't been done to my knowledge. So what happens, you described it briefly before, but what happens once you get a winning apple and it is, quote-unquote, born, and it goes to market. What are all the steps there? Yeah, so it's, it's going to be a, roughly a four-stage process. So once it's born, it's going to be in its siblings of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands in the breeding program, and there are at least 100 apple breeding programs around the world, and people looking out for those promising apples. So it gets born, it gets evaluated. If it's one in those... 10,000, it will progress to the phase two, where we're looking at a few dozen trees. Then it goes to phase three, where we're looking at a few hundred trees. And this is where commercial growers start getting interested because it's past the two major milestones of, of the first phase and the second phase, mm -hmm. and it's showing commercial promise. And this will go out to a number of commercial growers all over the world for evaluations. And if there's still interest at that stage, there will be some, some tenders go out to see who wants to invest the money to commercialize this apple in a large way. And there will be negotiations there and who wants to run with it, who has the expertise to bring this apple to market and return some money to the breeder, make some money for the farmer and delight the consumer with this exceptional apple. So it's not that you're just creating the seeds and whoever wants to buy it can buy it. You're really pretty picky, what it sounds like, of who you're going to allow to take those seeds, to market those apples, to grow those apples. Absolutely, yes. There, there's a lot of money invested into an apple breeding program. Like I was saying, it can take 30 years to bring this, this apple to market. So there, there's a lot of time and energy and cost associated with it. So the breeder really wants to partner with a, a commercial grower, a commercial marketer that can capture the value of this exceptional apple. And on the same side, the commercial grower wants to partner with breeders 
that have exceptional genetic material, exceptional apple varieties. And and how do you evaluate the breeder, sorry, the grower? The grower comes, everything looks good. Are you going back in six months, in a year, in five years, making sure that they're doing everything to your strict standards? Yes, so so we will do that. For Stamilt, we have our own grower base, or our own orchards, which we will plant on. And obviously, you know, we're doing a good job there. But we have outside growers across the country, which we have long-standing partnerships with. And so we trust them that they are good growers before they will grow any new apple variety. And we will continually visit them, help them with their orchard processes, help them in their packing house, help them on the marketing. So there's this, this very close association between the breeder, the marketer, and the grower. So, Brianna, I, in looking through all of your website, your information, Stemolt now has a Rave brand apple, and it says that it's the MN55 cultivar. So I have no idea what that means, but <laughs> explain to me why there's a cultivar name and a brand name for this apple. Yeah, it's actually relatively simple. So, um, and But yet, trademark names are pretty new to the apple world. Mm -hmm. I think the very first apple with a trademark was Pink Lady brand apples. So we have a cultivar, which is MN55. So that's the actual tree that what will become our rave apple is grown on. And cultivars are plants. And so through the patent process, they can only be patented, which means that that patent will run out over time and can become open for anyone to grow you know, including someone at home, they could plant that tree. Mm. So instead of relying on the patent, companies like Stemilt are going to trademark a brand name for that variety and then set high standards for the apple that the Rave brand must meet in order to be called that. So not every single apple that we harvest from an MN55 tree gets to be called Rave because we've set those high standards. And that's really to help us make sure that we're connecting to consumers, bringing the value to them and to the retail world, and ultimately just bringing a variety or an apple along that has a great flavor profile and can be remembered for that. So, you know, Rob had said that one out of, you know, tens of thousands of of apples actually make it. Why did Rave make it and what does it taste like? Rob, you might have more you know, on why it made it from the the technical side. But one of the really interesting thing about Rave is that it harvests in late July. So for us in Washington State, and for most growing regions, that's way ahead of traditional varieties. Mm. The other cool thing about Rave is it's a Honeycrisp cross. So not only are you getting an apple that's an early season apple, but it's also with Honeycrisp parentage, which is a very has that fracture that consumers get excited about with apples today. So for us, Rave really fills a window that that no other apple could. It's also got beautiful coloring, and we like to describe its flavor as being outrageously juicy with a refreshing snappy zing. So it is a little zingier than other apples, but it's just been a fantastic, you know, quick-to-market apple for us and usually is available in early August and then running through October. Well, I will definitely taste it this late summer. You mentioned early. So Rob, for you, you said that it could take 30 years. Did Rave take 30 years? 
No, it was a little bit faster. So we decided to uh, take a little bit of a gamble on it because we identified it as a very promising apple because of what Brianna described. So we accelerated the development of the rave. So what traits are you and other breeders looking for when you're creating new apple crosses? So there are lots of different, very technical traits we are looking for. But I was at uh, Fruit Logistica two weeks ago, and they spoke about being relevant, efficient, and different. And that's a nice overarching theme of what we're looking for. So we need to be making varieties and brands that are relevant, that people want to buy and pay a decent price for, and have returns going back to the grower that are sustainable. We need to have an efficient apple so that's easy to grow, easy to store, pack, and sell. And it needs to be different. We can't just have the next gala. It needs to be something different that people can really appreciate and it sets itself apart with consumers. So lots of different technical aspects of how do we grow it? What protection does it need? What storage aspects does it need? How do we pack it on the line? How do we get it through to to retailers? How long is the season and storage life of it? So those are all the aspects that myself and my team are looking at to inform our decisions. You mentioned with Rave that one of the reasons that you fast-tracked it and so on was the growing season as well as the taste and the bite and the juiciness and so on. What are some of the other things that you look for in new varieties? So it has to have great flavor and great texture. And we found with Honeycrisp that it delivers those and there's this appetite from consumers for something, an apple like that. So we are looking for selections, varieties that have that crispness of Honeycrisp, but are delivering different flavors that have better efficiencies of production for our grower and deliver that great eating experience to the consumer. So we do have to think of it with the end in mind of what the consumer likes and is willing to purchase. And then we work back that way. So as you can imagine, it's a very difficult or very high bar or multiple bars to reach. And that's why there's only one in about 10,000 seeds that will become a commercial variety. And Brianna, as a marketer, what do you look for? Well, you know, I think we obviously rely heavily on Rob's team to make sure that it can actually come out of the orchard and make it to the retail shelf, right? Because we still rely on retailers to, to market our product. But for us, it's really, it's about flavor and offering consumers something different. You know, if you're not different, you're the same. And that's not a fun position to be in. So our mm-hmm. mission statement, part of it is to delight consumers. And so every time we look at a new variety from the marketing standpoint, we feel like we could market anything as long as it fulfills that mission. So once Rob comes over to your office and says, Brianna, I have this great new variety here, taste it. You agree. You love it. What happens next? And how long is it from the time that Rob gives that to you to taste till it's on the supermarket shelves? Well, I'll, to be honest, it's not just Rob and I get to taste it and play no, it. I know. There's <laughs> I tons know. of work that his team does both internally and externally to, you know, study these varieties, which I think is so fascinating. He even, he, don't you even identify people that like actually have good taste buds around here? Oh, absolutely. Um, yes. Uh. <laughs> so, 
So you don't want to be on the no test list. <laughs> it's not a good yeah, place Brianna, to be. Yeah, Brianna gets to taste the apples. I've had to uh, nix a few of my colleagues that don't have good taste buds. Though. Okay. <laughs> but Brianna's okay in tasting. So yep. far. <laughs> but no, but he does. Rob comes around with a cart. We get to try new apples or new pears and cherries even all the time. So it's really a fun world that he lives in. On the marketing side, you know, we really step in once Rob and the leadership team have decided that we're going to pursue a variety commercially. So, you know, we're moving beyond the test into actual plantings. And so we step in in a few ways. You know, we'll, we'll write initial marketing plans if we're trying to earn a license to be the exclusive marketer of that variety. But then we also, once we, with something like Rave, we actually work on name development and branding and, you know, again, marketing strategies and how we'll go to market with it. And we're doing that up to, I would say, five years before the variety is even going to hit the shelf in a small way. So, Brianna, don't hate me for what I'm going to ask next. <laughs> okay, you promise? Yeah, I promise. Why do we need new apple varieties? Yeah, it's such a hot topic. I think I get asked about that at every single show or event that I'm at. But the bold thing that Stamilt would say is we do think that there's room for more. We know that it's a crowded category, but the bar has been set really, really high thanks to that emergence of Honeycrisp. But we think that there's room for that bar to go higher. And that's what sort of keeps driving us ahead on new varieties is we really want to keep elevating flavor through, through new flavors. And we know that that means that some varieties are going to fall out of favor and, you know, fall off the shelf, but, and that the lifespan of overall apples might be shorter than we're used to with something like Red Delicious that was around for, mm -hmm. you know, years and years and years in a big way. I grew up um, with it. That was so, it. <laughs> yeah. The lifespan might be shorter, but the flavor and quality is just going to keep getting better, which means that people are going to be attracted to apples and enjoying more of them. But the produce department's crowded, especially on the fruit side. So we have to break through that with flavor. And there's a lot of exciting stuff coming down the pipeline around that. So Rob, and last question, look into your crystal ball. What does the apple category look like? If I, if I look at other categories in the produce department, tomatoes, for example, we're seeing lots of different varieties of tomatoes and tastes of tomatoes and shapes of tomatoes. When I look at apples, and sure, there's, you know, different colored apples, but for the most part, they're all the same shape. Do you see any any major innovation that's really going to change apples that goes beyond taste? Maybe. Because taste is number one. I agree with you on that. Maybe. Apples are a, a very genetically malleable crop. They're a really interesting crop mm. genetically in that we can have a lot of diversity. I mean, if you want to talk about shape, I've seen flat apples like we have mm. uh, donut peaches i've seen donut apples i've seen cylindrical ones i've seen star shaped apples believe it or not so we have different shapes we have lots of different colors going from almost black to to white with a lot of different colors in between we have different flavor profiles we even have pink and red fleshed apples coming down the pipeline so uh, there's lots of interesting developments in the apple category. Lots of stuff we are working on. And even weird flavors like melon, berry, honey, huh. pear, star fruit. So there's lots of different diversity in the apple category we can look forward to. So when am I going to see that on my supermarket shelves? Which one? 
all of them. I, I love the idea of everything that you just described. <laughs> and, I, and I am an apple eater. But, you know, to be, to be honest with you, for me, and, and I don't, you know, I don't take a bite out of an apple. I actually slice it. And, you know, I eat it with slices and I might add some cheese to it or some jam or, or whatever else. What you're describing just changes my whole outlook of apples. And I'm going to eat more apples. So you got to bring them to market. <laughs> yeah, we're working on it. We're working on it. So hopefully <laughs> in the next few years, uh, we'll have some, some exciting new varieties and brands to bring through. And then it might be a little bit longer to bring those truly out-of-the-box apples to market. Well, Rob, Brianna, thanks so much for joining us today on Lost in the Supermarket. Thanks for having thanks us. That was fun.